0: Coming to you from Classic City,
1: the capital of the
0: Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the show, We are going to be talking some more X's and O's as Scheme Theme Month carries on as it will through the remainder of the month of June. And last week, I had a great time doing this last week, we kicked things off with a look at several key adjustments that Kirby Smart & Company made to unleash the extraordinary defensive talent that we had on hand and in the process helped transform a great defense, which had been great for a couple of years now, but transform a great defense into an all-time great defense. Players matter. You know I think that. I think talent acquisition is the most critical element in college football success, but how you deploy those players, that matters too. And last week was all about highlighting some of the ways that we adjusted and how we deployed those defensive resources that we had at our disposal. So yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that. The response I've gotten so far seems to be pretty favorable. So it seems like a lot of people are enjoying that, which is the plan, which is why I take the time to put these episodes together. But I will say this, if you love football, which again, if you're listening to this show, I know that you do. That's why you're listening to this show. So if you're into football and you're into the X's and O's, the scheme side of things, I know I'm biased, but I'll say it anyway. You really don't want to miss that episode. I think you'll get a lot from that and I think you'll enjoy it. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, no worries. No worries at all. It's not going anywhere. That episode is still loaded up and ready on demand for your listening pleasure. I strongly recommend that one. There's a reason we started this entire series this summer with that episode. I just think it has the potential to be the most engaging of all the things that we're going to talk about, all those topics that we'll talk about here over the course of this next month. So make sure to check that out if you have not had a chance to already. But today... We are flipping things over to the offensive side of the ball to give some love to what I believe, and you all know this if you've listened to the podcast throughout the past couple months, what I believe was a criminally underrated Georgia unit last season. And the idea for this episode, to be entirely honest with you, it underwent, I would say, several evolutions. You know, going into my prep for this month, for all these episodes, I knew a couple of things yeah, I knew I wanted to do an episode focusing on the all-timer of a defense that we had. Check that one off. We already did that. And I also knew I didn't want to just do defensive stuff. With the success that we had defensively last year, I knew it would be easy to just focus on the defense. And we could have done that. But again, our offense was really good too. And I wanted to give those guys some love as well. Because I think that we're doing some pretty cool stuff on the offensive side of the ball. And I want to spotlight that at least a little bit here over the course of this month. So on the offensive side of the ball, I knew I wanted to talk offense, but what do I want to talk about? Well, I knew there were two topics I really want to spotlight. Number one, the tight ends. Obviously, given how prominent that position has become in our offense, Brock Bowers is our leading receiver last year as a true freshman. We've got Darnell Washington and Reed Gilbert back in the mix who had a great spring. Oscar Dupp coming in as a true freshman, a top 100 true freshman who has very similar skills to what Brock Bowers brought to the table last season. So I think you can reasonably argue, and I would probably make this argument, that our tight end room might be the best unit of any unit in college football. You can absolutely make that argument with a straight face. Of course, you could say maybe Ohio State and their wide receiver unit or the Alabama outside linebacker unit with guys like obviously Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell. That is a hellacious unit in its own right, but I would absolutely put our tight end unit up there with any of those other units across the landscape of college football. So with that in mind, yeah, I wanted to talk about the tight end some throughout the course of this month. I also knew I wanted to talk about the RPO game. The problem was, thinking about how I was gonna go about doing that, okay, I wanna talk about the tight ends, but what exactly do I wanna talk about the tight ends? What do I wanna pinpoint? What do I wanna highlight? RPO game, okay, well, what exactly do I wanna focus on with the RPO game? Both of those topics, tight ends and RPOs, are very broad. And I told you guys last week that one of my goals this time around this year with scheme theme month is to streamline things and narrow my focus so that i'm not just throwing this avalanche of information at you that no one has a chance to actually retain so i thought about that considered it and the solution i came up with was just to merge these two topics why not that makes sense right so today i am going to narrow my focus to how todd munkin utilized our tight ends in the rpo game last year in route to one of the most efficient offenses in all of college football. But even that, so I, I figured out, okay, cool, we'll just merge the two. So, tight ends and the RPO game. How do we use tight ends in the RPO game? Okay, cool, awesome. That's much more narrow. But when I sat down to kind of actually put this together, I realized even that is still too broad. It would probably warrant its own month of coverage itself to really do it justice. So, let's take it another step. Let's narrow it down even further today. And I want to focus on a specific RPO series that we utilized, at least last year, with our tight ends. And that is our Toothpick Floss series. Really, let's just call it the Toothpick series. Floss is kind of a part of the Toothpick series. So, for the purposes of this podcast, we're just going to call it the Georgia Toothpick series. And I'm going to focus on this particular RPO series because, number one, it was a big part of what we did with both the tight end and the run game. We ran this series every single game last year. And number two, some of the biggest plays from the greatest season in Georgia football history came from this series. And I will spotlight some of those specific plays throughout the course of this episode as well. So let's start there. Now, before we can get into all the details and the breakdown of the actual toothpick series, which we will get to, I promise, just give me a minute or two. I do want to do a quick exercise with you here. All right. Just humor me with this. Close your eyes. Unless you're driving. If you're driving, let's not do that. If you're driving, please don't kill yourself. Just disregard this if you're driving. But if you are in a position to do so, close your eyes and just visualize this with me. Let's meditate together for a moment. You'll enjoy this. Let me set the scene here. Indianapolis, Indiana. January 10th, 2022. A little over five months ago now. The tension inside the stadium... Is palpable. The unique mix of excitement and anxiety that truly only college football can produce is at an all-time high in homes across the great state of Georgia. Three minutes, 33 seconds left in regulation. Georgia leads, but by the thinnest margin possible. One single point. 19 to 18. We started the drive three and a half minutes ago with about seven or so minutes left in regulation. We've run the ball down Alabama's throat, along with one very big pass interference call, but we ran the ball down their throat all the way down to the Bama 15, trying to add to our lead to seal this game. It's now third and one, another critical moment in a game defined by critical moments, iconic moments, if you will. We've run the ball now on six of seven plays on this drive. That one play that was not a run was a pass interference call. So, technically, you look at the stat book, they're all runs. Third and one, Bama 15. We line up in 12 personnel in a condensed formation, a tight formation. Everyone in the stadium, everyone at home, if you consider the situation, what we've done to get to this point to the Bama 15. And consider the situation, the context, the down and distance, everyone in America watching this game, the 17 million people around the country, around the world watching this game are thinking Georgia is going to run the football. It's Georgia after all. I mean, so that's a miniature quarterback. You've got to run the football, right? Right? But back to the play. The ball is aligned to the right hash with Brock Bowers offset as a wing tied in to the field. The ball is snapped. Bama brings the heat from the field into Stetson Bennett's face with zero coverage behind it. No safeties deep. They brought Jordan Battle on a blitz from the field into Stetson's face. Stetson sticks the ball into James Cook's gut on the play fake, but pulls it when he reads the backside of the Bama defense crashing on James Cook. Some way, somehow, the gods smiled upon us and Stetson was able to push the ball over the outstretched hands of Jordan Battle to Brock Bowers, who has released into the flat. Marcus me jack Saint blocks the corner. There's no one else out there. Bowers races into the end zone to put the dogs up 26-18 with just over three minutes left in the national championship game. And the rest, as they say, is history. And that, my friends, was Floss, which is part of our Toothpick RPO series. That was the play. It was Floss. And I will dive into great detail with Toothpick, with Floss, the entire series. But first, let's make sure that everyone has just a base understanding of a couple of requisite terms I think you're going to need to understand to truly grasp our Toothpick series. Now, if you listen to this show, again, I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence in your football IQ. I know most of you know this. Chances are you've already got this down. You get this. But just in case, and I know we have some newer listeners out there who might not have heard me talk about some of these things on the podcast before. So just in case, let's review real quickly here. So RPO, you've heard this term ad nauseum for a decade plus now. What does it stand for? You know this, run, pass, option. Now we've talked about this quite a bit before on this show, but again, just a review for those who aren't as sure, maybe missed some of that talk or maybe newer to the show, RPOs are where the quarterback simply has the option to hand the ball off or throw the football. There is still, I think most people are Wisening up to what an RPO actually is. For a long time, there was a very significant misconception about what an RPO actually was. And I still think there's a little bit of a misconception out there that RPOs are only for dual threat quarterbacks. And it's when the quarterback has the option to take off and run or throw the ball, depending on how the defense reacts. It's kind of like, I think a lot of people view it like when you used to play and play football back in the day, or uh, Madden with Michael Vick. I used to do this with Michael Vick a lot back in the day. You just roll the quarterback out. If the defense is a man coverage, all the defenders take off covering wide receivers and it's wide open spaces for your quarterback to just take off. Or if they're in zone and the quarterback rolls out, you read the cornerback, right? If the cornerback stays in the flat, then you throw the ball. If the cornerback drops in coverage into a, a deep half or a deep third or a deep quarter, or whatever, then the quarterback just runs the football, right? I did that all day long. And at some point you have to stop doing that because it just becomes too easy. But I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure a lot of you used to do the same thing. And I guess that it's own way. I mean, technically, yeah, that's an RPO, maybe the the original RPO. But that's not really why RPOs have become a part of essentially every offense in America these days. They have become a part of every offense in America because they allow you to essentially run option football and put defenses in conflict without a dual threat quarterback. That is the beauty of RPOs. And there are so many variations of RPOs, and we're not going to go into all the detail of that because that would take us six months. But in its most simple form, with an RPO, the offense goes to the line of scrimmage with one play that has two potential options built into it. Maybe more than that, but at least two potential options built into it. Again, we're trying to keep things simple here with this little review. The offensive line in RPO is always blocking run, which is the telltale sign of whether or not it's an RPO. Just because a quarterback does a play fake into the running back's gut and then throws the football does not mean it's an RPO. Sometimes there are just called play action passes, like old school play action passes where you go to the line of scrimmage with a play. You're saying, okay, it's going to be a play action pass. I'm not reading anybody. It's just going to be a pass. There's not a, a run or a pass option here. It's just going to be a pass. And those still exist. The way you differentiate between those old school play action passes and RPOs, which are also a form of play action pass, as you have a play fake there, is watch the offensive lineman. If the offensive line is blocking run, if they have offensive linemen two, three yards down the field blocking run, and the quarterback still throws the football, that is an RPO. That is a telltale sign every single time. So look for that. But anyway, back to the point. With an RPO, the offensive line is always blocking run because they have to assume it's going to be run play. They don't know what the quarterbacks do. They don't know, they're not seeing the same read. So the offensive line is blocking run but at least one, or maybe more, but at least one wide receiver is running a pass route designed to put a specific defender with run responsibility in conflict. It could be as simple as a slant behind the linebacker with the quarterback reading that linebacker. It could be a bubble screen. That's very popular these days. A bubble screen putting the slot defender in conflict with the quarterback reading that defender. Those plays have become so fashionable because like zone reads with a mobile quarterback, what they allow an offense to do is to take a defender out of the equation, out of the the, the box count, without actually dedicating a blocker to that person, without, without actually having to block him with an actual person, thereby giving you a numbers advantage in the box. And if you read it correctly, the offense should always be right. If the linebacker, if you're reading the linebacker, if he crashes against the run, you take it and you throw the RPO pass route right behind his head. If it's a, a bubble route RPO, then you're reading the slot defender. If the slot defender crashes against the run, you throw the bubble. If he stays out there to defend the bubble, then you run the football, and you've gained a number of advantage against the run. So our toothpick series, the reason I talk about RPOs there, is our toothpick series is an example of an RPO, as you will see in just a few minutes. Now, the other term I think you need to understand, to really understand what our toothpick series is, and what it's trying to do, is the phrase constraint play. Again, it's another thing I've talked about before on the show, but it's probably been a little while and I know we have a lot of newer listeners. Let's review this here real quickly. One of the core theories behind offensive football is creating what we call constraint plays off of your base actions. Constraint plays are the plays that are designed to look like your base plays, but aren't your base plays. Every single team in the country, no matter what conference you play in, no matter who your coach is, Every single team has base plays that form the core of your offense that you run over and over and over again, right? But every team also has to build in plays that constrain the defense from gearing up to or cheating to stop your base plays. So, constraint play, it's a counter, if you will. So, a play action passes, for instance, are the quintessential constraint play. If you run the ball over and over and over again, you force the defense to get bodies in the box to take away the run, and you condition them to react to that play because you've run it so many times. They see the run action. They're going to trigger against the run. Well, then what do you do with the play action pass? You pull the ball out of the the belly of the running back, and you throw the ball over their heads. There's a lot of space that should be opened up there when they bite on that run action. So again, play action, quintessential constraint play. And constraint plays have two general purposes. A, they create big play opportunities. Obviously with like a, a play action pass, if you're creating all that space with the play fake, there's going to be a lot of room for your receiver, your running back, whoever to operate in the pass game, as long as you can hold up against the pass rush and get the quarterback time for the football. So they create big play opportunities and B, they make your base plays more effective because they force the defense to play it more straight up because of the threat of that constraint play. Like, what if Georgia runs this play? I know they've run the ball four or five, six times in a row, but what if they run play action the next play? It, It helps make those run plays more effective, those base plays more effective. And in addition to being an RPO, our toothpick series is also an example of constraint theory at play. And when we get back from this quick break, we will talk more specifically about what exactly For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to LipsandAds.com now. That's L I B S Y N Ads.com.
0: Okay, we're back. So let's dive into Toothpick. Now, you've heard me say Toothpick a couple of times. And the sister play, I think I said it earlier, is Floss. And I know you're probably wondering, dude, Tyler, where do those names come from? And I wish I had an answer for you. But I honestly just don't. I don't know the genesis of those terms. But Toothpick and Floss, those are the terms. And they are both RPOs in our system and they both usually, but not necessarily, involve our tight end. We occasionally would get some of our faster skill players involved with the toothpick series. Ladd McConkey was the guy. If it wasn't Brock Bowers, if it wasn't Darnell Washington, if it wasn't John Fitzpatrick, it was usually Ladd McConkey that we ran these plays with to try to get somebody with maybe a little bit more speed, a little bit more wiggle and athleticism out there in space. But again, it was usually the tight end. Heavily leaned towards the tight ends. That's why we're including it on this episode. So toothpick and floss. Let's start with toothpick because this is this is the play that we'd run more often. This is the base of this, all right? This is the, what the series is based off of. So toothpick is an RPO where we have what we're going to call a slider. Again, usually, but not necessarily the tight end, but a slider who is coming across the formation behind the line of scrimmage at the snap of the ball. We call that slider the toothpick, right? So when I say the toothpick player, or just the toothpick. I'm talking about that, usually again, usually the tight end, but could be like maybe a, a Lad McConkie, a slot receiver, whoever that slider is coming across the line of scrimmage at the snap. And it's really tough for defenses to identify this because what we do with toothpick, one of the beauties of this play is that it, it's a pass play, or it can be, it's an RPO that gives the simulation of a split zone run which is a run play you see every single Saturday if you watch college football during the season. Even if you don't know it by name, you've seen this over and over and over again. So a split zone is where the offensive line is blocking zone in one direction. They're all flowing in one direction. And then the tight end, or it could be an H-back, but usually a tight end, comes across the formation at the snap behind the line of scrimmage to kick out the in-man on-line scrimmage, that backside defensive end. And this is why in addition to being RPO, Toothpick is also a constraint play. We can and have hit big plays off of it, big time moments where we had big time scores this past season. We've hit those big plays. But hitting those big plays off of it, it also has another purpose. It makes our base run plays more effective because it slows down that backside end from crashing on the running back as much. So it constrains them in that way. So how does this work? How does Toothpick actually work? Well, in reality, it's pretty simple. In the world of RPOs, which can get really complex, some of them are very, very simple, but some can get really out there, really complex. But in the world of RPOs, Toothpick is not an overly complicated RPO. It just happens to be extremely effective. So if it's Toothpick, the tight end is going to be aligned opposite the running back okay? So let's say, for example, if the running back is aligned to the quarterback's left, the tight end, or again, whoever the toothpick player is, usually the tight end, but whoever it is, will be aligned off the line of scrimmage to the quarterback's right. Typically in a wing formation, we could also have the tight end detached in the slot and send him in short motion and then snap the ball when he reaches the guard and then he hits it on the move. But regardless, the toothpick is off the line of scrimmage and opposite the running back, okay? At the snap, the toothpick player will cross the formation. He's the slider, right? He's going to slide across the formation behind the line of scrimmage and basically run what we call an arrow route into the flat. Arrow route is basically just a straight line route into the flat, but it's an RPO, right? So RPO means that there's a run pass read. It means the quarterback is reading some defender out there to give him either a give read or a pull read or throw read. It could be a run, or it could be a pass depending on how that read defender reacts so if it's an rpo who is the quarterback reading well to answer that question it depends on whether the defense is aligned in a four-man front or a three-man front that's what it depends on in a four-man front it's actually really simple it's so much more simple in a four-man front in a four-man front the defense makes it real simple for you the quarterback is simply reading the end man on the line of scrimmage to the side of the running back a four-man front. We usually pair this toothpick series with an inside zone play, an inside zone run, sometimes outside zone, but usually inside zone. And if the ball is handed off, the play, think about this, right? Just visualize this. You guys know this, right? If the ball is handed off, the play is going to the side opposite where the running back aligns, if it's an inside or outside zone. So if the, if the running back aligns to the quarterback's left, the run play would go to the right side of the line of scrimmage okay so just visualize that you know shotgun run play unless it's counter the running back is going to take the ball from the quarterback cross the face of the quarterback and work towards the opposite side so that end man on the line of scrimmage to his side where he initially aligns becomes the backside defender now for many years prior to the arrival of todd munkin and those of you have been with us for for years and years now You can attest to this. For years, I used to scream about us not holding the backside defender. It was especially egregious in 2019 when we averaged under five yards per carry for the first time in the Kirby Smart tenure. And yeah, part of that, sure, was because the passing game just fell apart because we had so many injuries at wide receiver, and it was just a, a passing, the passing game was a problem in 2019. And we were routinely running into stack boxes where we were outnumbered, and that drove me insane. Because there are ways to counteract that. Now, namely, what you do is you option off the backside defender. That helps you gain the advantage in the in the box in terms of numbers. Now, clearly, Jake Fromm, we all know, God bless the dude, was not the type of quarterback that you would run a zone read with, because that is more of a, uh, a, a dual threat quarterback way to occupy a backside defender, right? You need a dual threat quarterback to usually do that. But if you don't have an athletic quarterback, you can still do things like toothpick, for instance, where you create conflict for that backside defender. That's what it's all about. It's about creating conflict. Jake Fromm could have done that, not with his legs, but he could have done it with his arm with things like toothpick. But James Coley, unfortunately for us, was not creative enough or experienced enough, whatever, to implement that. I mean, thank God, thank God the 2019 season ended when it did, because if I would have seen one more backside defender crash and our running back in the backfield for a loss or a minimal gain that season, I think I would have spontaneously combusted. Like, I was that done with seeing that happen. It was a problem all year long. So, it's pretty simple. If the backside defender in a four-man front crashes on the running back and we're running toothpick, it's a pull read for the quarterback and he throws the toothpick route. The run fake draws the inside linebackers who have run responsibilities and the tight ends should have room to operate in space out there. And if, you, if it's a guy like Brock Bowers, who is athletic as we know that he is, watch out, right? If everything goes to play and guys take care of their jobs and block in the whole nine yards, but it should create a big play opportunity. If, however, the backside defender gets smart to what we're doing, so if we do this a couple times and they realize what we're doing, we hit them for a couple big plays, and they're like, oh, wait, I've seen this before. Let me make sure I get out there and don't let this tight end be able to operate in as much space where it can hurt us like that. So they get smart to what we're doing and they stay with the toothpick. Well, fine. We're going to hand it off to the running back, and in the process, we have effectively eliminated a defender from the run And have gained a numbers advantage in the box, thereby making your run game more effective and more efficient. Constraint theory of football 101. Easy peasy, easy stuff. Now, what if it's a three man front? Now, this is where it gets a little bit more complicated. It's still a a basic RPO, but it's a little bit more complex if it's a three man front. So, in a three man front, in most defenses, you're gonna have a jack, or it's really a weak side outside linebacker, we call it a jack on the field. So like Nolan Smith, right? So job number one for the quarterback, if we're running toothpick against a three-man front, is to identify where is the jack? Where is that player aligned? Once he identifies where the jack is aligned, he's got to determine, okay, is the run going away from the jack or is the run going to the jack? If the run is going away from the jack, the jack is the read man, So he basically effectively becomes the, the backside defender if it's going away from him. Well, what if the jack is aligned to the side of the run? Well, in that case, you are reading the backside inside linebacker who would have C-gap run responsibility in that scenario because there is no backside overhang player. If it's a three-man front and the jack is to the side the run is going to. There's no overhang defender out there for the quarterback to read. So you have to read somebody who you're reading. We're going to read that off-ball inside linebacker that has C-gap responsibility there. So it's a little bit more of a complex read if it's a three-man front, but it's still pretty simple stuff. It's not crazy stuff. And it's really that simple. So that's toothpick, guys. That's toothpick. Pretty basic RPO, right? Now, the other part of this that is also in the toothpick series is what we call Floss. Again, I, the names, man, I don't know where they come from, what the genesis of those names are, but that's what it is toothpick and floss. And I'll, I'll keep this part pretty short talking about floss because the base principles are the exact same. There are really only two differences between toothpick and floss, and they are cosmetic more than anything else. It's just another way, really, floss is just another way to keep the defense off balance. So I told you earlier that with toothpick, the tight end is aligned off the line of scrimmage opposite the running back. But with floss, the tight end will actually be aligned to the same side as the running back. Still off the line of scrimmage, but this time to the same side. So if you visualize that, you can probably guess the second difference between toothpick and floss. So let's go back to toothpick real fast. With toothpick, the tight end is a slider who is sliding across the formation at the snap, going in the opposite direction of the running back. But with Floss, the tight end is already aligned pre-snap to that side, right? He doesn't have to cross behind line of scrimmage across the line there. He doesn't have to do that. He's already over there before the snap. And again, the goal is the same thing. The goal is to occupy that backside defender by reading him, right? So to do that, the running back and toothpick, they still have to be going in opposite directions at the snap. That's what creates the conflict for that backside defender that you are reading. If that guy crashes on the running back, the toothpick is coming out the backside wide open in space. Corbett's going to pull it and throw it to him. Boom. If the backside defender takes away the toothpick and sticks with him out there in space, he is removing himself from the box count, which is cool. Thanks, man. We'll take that too. So if we're running inside or outside zone as the run play tag with toothpick and that backside defender does not crash on the running back, the running back is going to take the ball on his play side track and the toothpick who's already aligned to the backside is going to take one jab step and then release on an arrow route into the flat. That simple, right? Really the exact same concept as toothpick. All that has really changed is the alignment. That's really all that's changed. You're still releasing the tight end to the backside. You're still creating confidence from the backside defender and the quarterback is still reading the same defender. So, that's the basics of toothpick and floss. And when we get back from this last short break, I'm going to throw a few more quick teaching points at you that go along with our toothpick series.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's libsyn You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's libsyn
0: Okay, we're back. Let's go ahead and finish this out today, guys. Again, I want to throw a few more quick teaching points at you here. I tried to make the basis of toothpick and floss simple for you guys to digest, but as anything, there are more layers to it. There's there's a little bit more complexity to it. So let's talk about a few of those things here, a few teaching points when you're running toothpick and floss. And the first thing is this. Toothpick or floss, whatever you're doing, that route, the arrow route, because again, it's the same route. All that's really changing with toothpick and floss is the alignment of the toothpick or the floss guy, the tight end, the slot receiver, whoever it is. All that's really changing is the alignment. The route's still the same thing. The concept's still the same thing. So that route has to be run behind the line of scrimmage to ensure that it is a legal play, all right? Now, here's why you have to run behind the line of scrimmage. Because the wide receivers are blocking run, there's really only one pass route that's being run in this play. Some RPOs, you have the the running back, you know, he's he's running his run track, the offensive line's blocking run, but you have multiple receivers. Maybe every receiver out there is running some form of a pass route. So as long as the offensive linemen don't go more than four yards past line of scrimmage, you can still legally throw that pass beyond line of scrimmage. But with toothpick, the only offensive player running a route is the tight end, is the toothpick or the floss guy. No one else is running around. The receivers, they are blocking runs. So if they're out there blocking at the snap and the ball is thrown beyond line of scrimmage, it's going to be offensive pass interference that the officials are actually doing their job and paying attention, which let's be real, it's college football. Uh, that's a 50-50 proposition. You never know if they're actually paying attention, but they could still call you on that. So that play needs to be thrown behind line of scrimmage because those receivers are blocking because it might be run depending on what that backside defender does whoever the quarterback's reading it could be a run and the receivers they don't have routes they're running so they're blocking they're blocking at the snap so you've got to throw that ball behind line of scrimmage that is point number one there speaking of blocking I told you all last week man one of my biggest frustrations last season was our absolutely pitiful perimeter blocking it was a disaster For most of the season. And toothpick and floss, these plays, this series, this RPO series was very good for us last year. Again, we ran it every single game, some more than others, but we ran it the first week against Clemson and we never stopped the rest of the way. I mean, think back to that first game against Clemson and Charlotte and how we were actively trying to feature Brock Bowers early in that game. Now, we didn't only run Toothpick and Floss with him that game, but we ran it a couple times. So we ran this all year long, which means it was successful for us. If it was not working, we would not have continued to run it, but we kept running it because it was working for us. But even as successful as this series was for us last year, we still had a number of other big play opportunities set up off of this series by Todd Munkin, who's a fantastic offensive coordinator that didn't actually turn into much solely because of poor reads and poor technique by our wide receivers on the perimeter. Just a terrible, terrible effort sometimes of actually doing what they're supposed to do and understanding what they're supposed to do. And that really limited some of the big play opportunities that we had off of this series but a couple of quick teaching points here when it comes to perimeter blocking with this toothpick series. In this series, if you are the outside wide receiver, so let's say you're to a two wide receiver side or a three receiver side, and you are the outside receiver, and you have a cornerback pressed up on you in man coverage, our offensive system gives you the freedom to just run him off rather than block him. because The cornerback the, the doesn't know. He doesn't know like if you're on a route and he's up in your face and press man coverage, he's got you man-to-man. So if you take off on a go route down the field, he's got to turn and run with you. He doesn't know what's happening. He's not seeing what's happening in the backfield there. He's looking at you. He's locked in on you. So you don't even really have to block him. You don't even have to try. Just run around and run him off if he's in press man coverage, Because he's going to run with you. And that just takes him completely out of the picture. So that makes it really easy. But of course, it's not always that easy. not always in press man coverage on you. If they're not, and they're playing off you a little bit, whether it's a, a soft man or zone coverage of some sort, you got to stalk and you got to block those guys on the outside, which we struggled with last year. We had some issues doing that, and really across the board. Some guys are better at it than others, but across the board, we, we just struggled in general blocking on the perimeter. But if you're the inside receiver to the toothpick side, so where that toothpick player is going to be releasing the flat, or if it's floss to the side, the floss receiver, the floss tight end is is releasing the flat there. You have what is called MDM responsibility or most dangerous man responsibility. So what we mean by MDM or most dangerous man is very simple. Who is the biggest threat to that toothpick or that floss tight end? Is it the slot defender to that side or the safety to that side? And the answer to that question, there's some gray area there and there's some judgment that the receiver's going to have to make there it really depends on leverage. If the star defender is tucked inside closer to the line of scrimmage, and you have a guy like Brock Bowers, who's a really fast, athletic, hybrid-type tight end, and he releases into the flat, and then Stetson gets him the football, if that star defender, that slot defender, is tucked further inside to try to help add against the run, it's going to be harder for him to get back into space and make the play on a guy as athletic as Brock Bowers or Reek Gilbert. So, in that scenario, the slot defender, even though he's closer to the line of scrimmage, would not be the most dangerous man because he's kind of taking himself out of the play based on his pre snap leverage. So, in that scenario, the inside receiver in a three by one or a two by two set is not going to block that star defender because he's kind of taking himself out of the equation anyway with his alignment. You go and you block what is actually the most dangerous man in that scenario, which would be that safety to that side. But again, it really just depends on leverage, and there is certainly some judgment involved there, which is one of the things that makes it tough for some of those receivers. They've got to figure out exactly who they're supposed to block, and defenses give you different looks, and that can be troublesome. They can do different things at the snap, even pre-snap looks and change post-snap, and that can be a problem for some receivers, which it was for some of our guys last year. There's no doubt about it. But speaking of leverage, Toothpick is primarily, as I laid out for you guys throughout the course of this show, it's primarily a post-snap RPO. But the quarterback does also have the ability to make it a pre-snap read based on the alignment and leverage of the star defender or the outside linebacker, whoever is out there as the overhang. So for example, if the slot defender or the linebacker, whoever it is, that has pass coverage responsibility for that toothpick player if he's aligned a tight to where our toothpick or floss is going to out leverage them and can kind of outflank them, the quarterback can just throw it despite what the read of the backside defender tells him to do. So even if the backside defender doesn't crash and he stays with the floss, he stays with the, with the toothpick, the quarterback can still throw it based on that pre-snap read Based on where that that slot defender or the out, that inside linebacker is leveraged. There's that flexibility that's kind of built into this series, which makes it even more dangerous and more effective for us to run. Which brings me to my last point here. And a great example of this last point, I'm gonna give you the example first, I'm gonna kinda explain it as we go through this. A great example of this last point was our first touchdown against Michigan. So I told you guys at the outset of the episode that I was going to give you guys some examples of where we created big plays off of toothpick or floss in some of our bigger games and some of the bigger moments of the season. And here's another one of those examples. I laid out the example in the National Championship game in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, three minutes ago, touchdown at Brock Bowers, puts up eight points, which is when I felt like we were going to win. I know technically Alabama had a chance to still go down there and score and get two-point conversion. But I felt when we scored that touchdown – we had won the football game. That's how I felt. And so when Keely Ringo intercepted the ball, I had the pick six. To me, that was just icing on the cake. Obviously, I lost my mind like everyone else, but I already kind of felt like the game was over. So I thought that was a huge play. Well, another huge play in the game before that in the semifinal in the Orange Bowl against Michigan was our first touchdown against Michigan, which was a big play for me, guys. Just think about how we all felt coming off the SEC championship game. We had a month to sit there and just ruminate on that and just allow the misery and the shame of that game just eat us alive. So coming into the mission game, I mean, think about that, guys. Think about all the conversation in that month leading up the Orange Bowl. Think about how many of the national media members out there were talking about how Michigan was going to win this football game. Was was Georgia exposed by Alabama? Are they not who we thought they were? And there were a lot of people in the Georgia fan base who felt that way too. Now, I told you guys I felt like we were going to win that game because we were just a better football team, but even I wasn't sure. I mean, I felt intellectually I was like, yeah, we're better than them, but like you couldn't get what you saw against Alabama in the SEC title game in Atlanta. It was hard to just completely remove that from your mind. So like all of you out there, I went to that game. I mean, I was confident, but I was nervous and I wasn't completely sure what team was going to show up. Like what did that Alabama game do to our psyche? I was hopeful, but I wasn't sure. So when we came out and just punched them in the freaking mouth, like we did from, from the start, from the jump, that was awesome. And the first touchdown, which I lost my mind over because again, like I was I spent the previous months just like in knots, and then you get to kind of breathe and relax, and not relax, but take a deep breath and kind of okay, we're good, we're back. This is the this is the George team I thought that we were, and so I think this was a huge play for us, and it was a unique play for two reasons. We ran floss on that play with a tight end aligned to the same side as the running back, so he was not a slider coming across the formation. This play was unique for two reasons. Number one. Stetson looked at the defense and understood, based on coverage and alignment, that the backside inside linebacker had flat coverage responsibility. But that inside linebacker, because there was no slot defender to that side, was tucked inside the formation. So speaking of leverage, he was tucked inside the formation, and Bowers had him out-leveraged, had him out-flanked. And with Bowers' speed, Stetson knew there was no way that inside linebacker was going to be able to get to Bowers, especially when we gave them the run fake. So on that play, if you go back and watch it, do, do yourself a favor, go back and watch this play. The backside defensive end on that first touchdown against Michigan to Brock Bowers did not chase the running back. He did not give Stetson a pull read. It wasn't that Stetson made the wrong read. No, Stetson made the right read. He pulled it anyway which you would watch the play. And you're like, well, why did you pull it? There was, there was no pull read there. That's, that's 100% a give read. That's a run read. But Stetson wasn't reading this post-snap. He had made a determination. He had read this pre-snap and he decided that based on alignment, pre-snap alignment and leverage, there was no way that that inside linebacker was going to be able to make the play on Brock Bowers. So yeah, he, he put the ball in, I think it was James Cook's belly, But he pulls it quickly and throws it to Bowers, who motors in for our first of many touchdowns against the Wolverines. And we all kind of breathe a sigh of relief there, and it just kept going and going and going throughout the rest of that game. So that's the first reason why that was a unique play. Because it was a pre-snap read, which is not really what that toothpick or floss play is designed to do. Point number two that made that specific play very unique, and some of you may remember this if you remember that play is that we ran that play out of an unbalanced formation. Munkin, the mad scientist, threw an additional little wrinkle Michigan's way. So when I say unbalanced formation, what I mean by that is we had the left tackle, Jamari Salyer, we had him over on that play. So we have both tackles on the right side of the line of scrimmage, and Brock Bowers was aligned as a tackle, where Jamari Salyer normally aligns with his hand in the dirt in a three-point stance right next to Justin Schaefer at guard. And what we did is we ran to the line real fast, kind of like the little like old school Auburn sugar huddle, where we ran to the line real fast before the defense really had a chance to digest what was happening and identify where everybody was. And from the look of it, Bowers, when we run to the line real fast and we're in a hurry, Bowers looks like he's a tackle because he's next to the guard. He's next to, to Justin Schaefer. But he was technically the floss man who was an eligible receiver. And that was not the first time we did that. It was probably the most prominent example of us doing that, especially in a big moment for a touchdown. But we've done that a couple times, ran against Florida earlier in the year. But what that is, like doing the tackle over the unbalanced line like that, it's it's the same play, but it's just another way to dress up a pretty basic play. Gus Malzahn used to be the master of this. You know, forever, everyone would call Gus Malzahn like an offensive mastermind over this, like, Crazy exotic offense, but if you really boil it down, it was not exotic at all. He ran about four or five different plays, like base plays that he just ran over and over again, but it looked like about 40 different plays because he ran about different formations, different looks, different motions, different things like that. He put the window dressing on there, he dressed it up. And Todd Munkin does that too. good, Good coordinators will do that. And this is an example of doing that, running that unbalanced formation. And that's another thing that makes floss, even though it's so simple, makes toothpick and floss. So effective, even though they are simple in their base form, is that you can dress it up. You can run this out of three by one with a tight end in the line as a wing. You can run it out of three by one with a tight end detached. You can run it with 12 personnel, 11 personnel, 13 personnel, two by two, any number of ways that you can dress this up and make it tough on the defense to recognize what is in reality a pretty simple play. But All right, guys, that does it for me here today on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Again, I tried to make this one more specific and more narrow in focus to make it more easily digestible for you, but I still know that's a lot of information to be thrown your way, especially without the benefit of having that visual medium, which makes it, I think, easier to really grasp and understand. So if you have any questions on anything I talked about here on this show anything I talked about on the first episode, breaking down our defensive adjustments from last year, please do not hesitate to let me know. You can hit us up on Twitter. That's at glory underscore UGA. You can DM me, you can tweet me, whatever. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. Whatever works for you guys, just let me know and I'll be happy to address any questions that you might have about this particular topic or any topic that we discuss here during the course of our Scheme Theme Month. And before I get out of here, I do just want to put our first call out. It's the first time I'm going to ask you guys to do this, but we did this last year. The last episode we did for Scheme Theme Month really actually became Scheme Theme Summer last year Was we did a scheme theme mailback episode where I just took a bunch of questions from you guys and tried to answer all of your specific scheme based questions. And I wanna do that again. You know, I always say I wanna make this show as interactive as we can and as responsive to you guys and your needs and desires and what you want this show to be. I wanna do that as much as I possibly can. So anything on your mind from a scheme standpoint, hit us up. Let us know again, Twitter, Instagram, email podcast at gmail.com, at GloryUGA on Twitter. Just uh, send us those questions. Let us know what you want us to discuss, and we'll wrap things up at the end of the scheme theme month with that scheme theme mailbag. So that should be a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing that last year, and I don't see any reason why it would not be equally as fun this year. So let's do that again. Let us know what you want to talk about, and uh, we'll do it. We'll do that for you guys. So thank you guys for listening. Always appreciate it. Curtis will be back with me later on this week, so make sure to check back later. But for now, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs!